Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. In this friendly little town, there lived an enchanting family named the Cranks. Every year, they would celebrate Christmas together. Merry Christmas! Until the year their daughter Blair left for the holidays. This won't be the same. Then, Luther got a brilliant idea. We skip Christmas. Christmas with the Cranks. Hello, Patreon pals, and welcome along to this, the Patreon pal Christmas Treehouse, where we uh, cobble together a homestead for those of us who want to get away from friends or family or maybe ourselves to, to climb on into the hut and talk about the best and the worst of what the holiday season has to offer. I am Guy Montgomery broadcasting to you live from New Orleans, Louisiana, joined as always by our nearest and dearest, Tim Bat. This is pretty good, man. Well done. You really grabbed grab the reins on that thing. I did. Uh, not unlike Santa would gra- grab the, the reins on a reindeer. Is that why they're called reindeer? Because you grabbed the reins. It could well be. Reins is spelled with a G, I believe, and reindeer does not have a G. Or is reins not spelled with a G? These are the questions that we dare <laughs> to ask and answer. Do you know rain is R-E-I-N, reindeer? A deer that can be corralled and ridden or driven. (laughs) (laughs) What is this fucking... You go into New Orleans and there's like Christmas-flavoured scat poetry just falling out. Yeah, I'm embracing the the spirit of Christmas and the spirit of the Big Easy. Um, And what better way to embrace the spirit of the Big Easy than by holding up in my accommodation to watch the 2004 American Christmas comedy film Christmas with the Cranks, a Tim Allen and Jamie Lee Curtis vehicle based on a novel written by uh, John Grisham. Yeah, dude. Yeah, in 2001. So there was a lot of stuff going on, ripe terrain for John Grisham to write about, being an American author famous for like international espionage novels. But he's like, you know what? What if an older couple had their daughter move away from home, their one begotten child, and then they decided to be assholes 
to everyone around them. Oh, uh, well, I'm glad that this is your take on the film. Um, because I thought that for as much as I did not enjoy the movie and thought that, like, my God, I've I've sat through some films where the, the leads lack chemistry, but Tim Allen and Jamie Lee Curtis, yeah. they... They get off to a cold start, and things do not improve from there. It's like yeah. they are obviously in the same movie, but their dialogue when the, the scene opens with the, they say goodbye to their daughter, and then they're in the car, and he's got to pick up some Christmas things for, for uh, Tim Allen does for Jamie Lee Curtis in the driving rain, and like you could drive a goddamn bus in between their lines of dialogue when they they're meant to have sort of. Is it playful bent? I just it just seemed like a pretty unhappy relationship at that point. <laughs> it was no good, eh? Which kind of, um, in a weird, unintended way, I think really strengthens the storyline of why they're so bummed that their daughter left. Because you know, you read about these couples that sort of hang together because the child's there, and then as soon as the child's gone, it's like, oh fuck, you again. Yeah, and I yeah. feel like that's what was going on here. But to be fair, I mean. This is a Tim Allen movie. Jamie Lee Curtis shouldn't shouldn't be here. Um, and I was quite baffled by the budget of this film, which was $60 million. And I just hope and pray and think that probably she got a lot of that to get across the line to do this flick. Uh, I feel like that went into uh, quite a lot of stunt work. The stunts don't come off, but um, it felt like they were also, for, for when the movie was released, which was 2004, they were playing around with quite a lot of CGI so you've got to imagine, like, I mean, I guess the CGI people, they earn their money, same as anyone does, but I feel like in the earlier days of CGI, they're going, oh, yeah, we're going to need $20 million to, to make that frozen cat's eyes blink. And, this, <laughs> and it was the worst thing I've ever seen. Yeah. And the studio goes, that, that is so much money. The idea is it's a really small thing. Surely couldn't you do it for $10 million? You go, ah, I can't, can't make the cat's eyes blink for $10 million. Um. I reckon I guess, you are dead right. That's I, good. I, and I reckon somehow it's an animation studio that Tim Allen started with a couple of yeah. mates. I, yeah. I like. I was so interested watching it because I was thinking of Home Improvement and how I, I suppose like it's their nostalgia-tinted memories, but how I enjoyed watching Home Improvement. I sort of thought Tim Allen was a pretty good time then. And then you learn more about the man himself and you're like, <laughs> this guy's no good. But I didn't have that context <laughs> when this movie was released. And so accordingly sort of tried to watch it without it. But your idea that these guys decided to skip Christmas and become assholes to those around them, um, I, at the risk of upsetting the apple cart here, sided initially with the cranks. I was like, good on them. Fucking 23 years of abiding these Christmas traditions, putting on a party, their daughter leaves, they finally have license to to take control of the holiday and do what they want. And it's just like spurned by i know it's in indiana like a biggish city but spurned by this you know small town small-minded like uh passive aggressive peer pressure where they're like oh and i i felt sympathetic for them i was like just put someone else through a christmas party on christmas eve these guys don't have to do it they've done it for 23 years yeah just literally take responsibility accept that other people will make decisions that don't you know, allow for exactly what you want and say, have a great cruise, guys. You've earned this. You've raised a beautiful daughter who, by the way, plays an outsized role in the community. Like everyone in the community <laughs> wants to get close to Blair. Um, we love Blair. We lo- Yeah. And then eventually, like eventually while 
the entire neighborhood is sort of turning the screw on the cranks and they're being mean to them because they're skipping Christmas. The cranks respond in kind. And like Tim Allen's meant to have this sort of lovable everyman quality, but it's hard to, to watch him on screen now without thinking that he's an asshole. As soon as he heard, as soon as he heard his daughter was uh, dating a Peruvian who she meets uh, with the Peace Corps in Peru, he, he looks at Jamie Lee Curtis and he goes, a communist. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, it's good knowing, stuff. Knowing his present-day political allegiance, uh, you know, it's it's hard not to let those lines jump off the, the screen at you. Um, wh- I mean, where did you sit on your sympathies with the, those involved, the characters, like I, not the actors? I take your point. You're, actually, you're not wrong at all. I mean, Tim Allen's character becomes a real asshole. But, so just to get people up to speed, the plot of this movie, if I uh, deign to call it that, this flick is about, um, the, yeah, Tim Allen just decides they're going to go on a cruise and skip Christmas because he likes some kind of crazy modern day um, combination of Scrooge and Scrooge McDuck. Sits at his work desk, uh, busts out a calculator and adds up every cent that he spent for Christmas last year. <coughs> and it comes out, he has breath over six grand. And he goes, hey, you know what's less than six grand? A, a cruise to the Caribbean. And because he doesn't have the obligation of a daughter to um, sort of time to all the family traditions, pomp and circumstance of Christmas, he's like, let's do that instead. And he even calculates that it's going to save the money because the, the cruise is three grand. But then we, <laughs> this is like, I don't know why this was such an issue for me, but it was. This movie's so fucking weird with its pacing. There's um three quarters of a scene where Tim Allen will not get past the fact that Jamie Lee Curtis wants to give $600 to charity, and it threatens to derail the entire plot. And then he's just like, all right, I guess we'll pay it. And it's like, what were we? What was that? <laughs> yeah, they get re- he gets really bogged down in hard line, absolutely no... Cr- like, he sort of... This is where his, his thinking does start to unravel, because he's like, no, when I say no Christmas, I mean no Christmas. We're not going to abide very basic... Like, they're just ordinary social niceties that everyone follows year-round. They're not Christmas-specific. They're dressed up as Christmassy because it is Christmas. But, he, yeah, he refuses to give to charity. Like, every, just very normal social decisions he spurns. And then the movie leans on them hard. I guess that's what they're trying to do. The movie leans on them hard enough where he has to occasionally bend. But it it's... Yeah, <laughs> do you know like, what I... To your to your earlier point about this small minded town just not being able to handle the jandal, for the first half of the movie, all I was thinking was, what do Jews in this town do? And what do they have to go through every December? This is so fucked. Everyone's complete like non acceptance that it's even possible to not celebrate Christmas in, yeah. in, in other people. It's so unabiding. There was one acknowledgement of the notion that Christianity isn't an all conquering and ruling religion. Where some, uh, I believe, Lutheran, is it the Lutheran Church carolers, they um, yeah. they show up, and this sort of curmudgeonly neighbour that um, Tim Allen is somewhat at war with, uh, they he says, "Is anyone in there?" And he goes, "Yeah, they're trying not to celebrate Christmas this year, but I think they could use a little Christmas cheer." And she says, "Are they Jewish?" And that is the only moment in the movie which would suggest that. Not being Christian and uh, worshiping at the altar of both Jesus and <laughs> capitalism 
and Santa, yeah, is uh, an option available to any of the characters. They have yeah. built out the cast um, with a pretty, like, they've got a pretty strong supporting cast of comedy players and also serious actors like Dan Aykroyd is, I guess he's meant to be the, what's the, the you've got the, the protagonist and the antagonist. Yeah. Uh, as a sort of like very forceful neighborhood watch style, uh, you know, he he runs the neighborhood essentially. And then Jamie Lee Curtis's best friends are both criminally underused, played by Felicity Huffman, famed felon Felicity Huffman, and Caroline Ray, who's a, a very good actor. You've got a cameo from Andy Daly in there. Did you pick that up? I didn't. I missed that. Where was and- he? When Jamie Lee Curtis is frantically trying to buy a different family's Christmas ham at the yeah. checkout, he's the dad. Oh, fuck. Oh, that was Andy. Oh, wow. Crazy. Yeah. TV's Andy Daly. Well, I knew uh, that. Exactly. You've got, um, you have Matt Walsh, the comedy actor. Yeah, I saw him. Yeah. He showed up for like a line. Cheech from Cheech and Chong was one of the police officers. I did not like, realize that. That's funny. Also, friend of the podcast, uh, Arden Mirren. She appeared on a um, Thrilling Adventure Hour crossover where we had a, a cast of uh, Hollywood stars read mm. our version of Grown Ups 2. Arden Mirren, she was the fake tan, the salon lady. Oh, my God. I didn't connect that. Shit. Yeah, the, True. I mean, the stars were out to play, but they, were just, they weren't given enough. I didn't like the stunts. I didn't mm. like the plot. Like I just couldn't. I couldn't buy into the movie because it it didn't. Also, Dewey from Malcolm in the Middle. How could I forget Dewey? That was at the peak of his powers as well. There was yeah, yeah. peak Dewey. Um, when this movie came out. You know what's I, crazy about this film as well? Tim what? Allen did the Santa Claus trilogy, right? And this movie came out in between the Santa Claus two and three. So he like. Took a little breather from his Santa Claus franchise to make this other Christmas movie. He just couldn't handle not being in one one year. That's crazy. I guess Christmas movies are, you know, like they're they're money makers. Oh, I've got a theory about this actually. Why Tim yep. Allen's got such a hard on for Christmas movies? It is because, of course, Guy Montgomery, Tim Allen, real name Timothy Dick, has a real affinity for snow. Because as ah. uh, some people will know, this is a man who had a successful career after a brief stint <laughs> in a federal correctional facility in Minnesota, namely two years and four months served of, yeah. I think, something like a four-year sentence. And he's, he's Tim Allen is a snitch, right? He is a snitch. So he got caught. At the Battle Creek International Airport in Michigan with 650 grams or about one and a half pounds of coke. And get this, the fucker wasn't even flying on a plane that day. He picked an airport as the drop-off point to make this exchange. (laughs) And the reason why he picked it is because he saw it in a uh, TV film once. Oh my God. He saw it in a scene on the tally. And so he made his exchange of one and a half pounds of cocaine in exchange for $42,000 in cash at a fucking international airport, got caught, um, the feds took him down, and uh, he 
basically had this like plea bargain. I don't know if those are the words you use. He he snitched on a whole raft of people, something like twenty different drug dealers. And, it's a, it's a uh, miracle he's still confident enough to pursue a career in the public eye. Like absolutely, that's a lot of people to cross. Absolutely. Well, he was looking at life in federal prison, um, like that's him, all done and dusted. And this was in his twenties. And so he ratted out 20 guys and the judge took a real shine to him. And it's got, if you read the court reports, the judge like says, this guy's going to be a really successful comedian. (laughs) So shaves like all of this time off the sentence, I think gives him something like four years and then he serves um, two and a bit. And they actually move him to a correctional facility in um, Minnesota rather than Michigan because they kind of fear that he's going to get shanked or something in prison by someone connected to all the people oh he snitched God. on. So they were very cognizant of the fact that this guy has a big old target on his back. I That's um, it's crazy, because he wasn't even like a big star when he was a snitch, was he? He'd only been doing comedy a few years. Yeah, that's my understanding. There's actually, um, he references it quite a lot in different interviews, but he never goes into depth. So I had to do a bit of digging to get all those deets. Oh, you did quite well. funny, eh? The fact that he yeah. picked a fucking airport needlessly. <laughs> that is absurd. He, like, yeah. So, you, but the, the, the original uh, thread there is that uh, Tim Allen is a fan of snow. And, <laughs> that, uh, was, that was the setup. To, you um, can't see me, but I'm, I'm winking and I'm doing quite right. a cool face. Great. Um, yeah, I just quickly also, I know it's not uh, relevant, but his, like, for all of his uh, the problems he throws up, his work as Buzz Lightyear in Toy Story is uh, Academy worthy. Fucking hell, the guy's got yeah. a, a hell of a set of pipes, and you know, in the right environment, um, they sing. But that was not. Yeah, the you're case. right about that. Not not the case in uh, Christmas with the Cranks. So should we continue to sort of fumble our way through their version of a story, like? It's absurd to me that John Grisham wrote this book. I guess maybe he wanted to take his foot off the gas. Like, you know, he, he felt like maybe the the world needed a, a silly and sort of um, wry Christmassy story that uh, is well, divorced that, from the ills of society. Look, we, we typecast writers in our minds, but, you know, um, M. Night Shyamalan wrote Stuart Little, didn't he? Pe- people do different shit outside is, of their wheelhouse. If that is true, that is the ultimate... M. Night Shyamalan twist. You tell me the guy from uh, The Sixth Cent wrote... Sixth I don't Cent know. Wrote, Maybe I got that wrong. Have you got a Google box in front of you? You go, go Google he did. that up. I'm pretty sure it's true. He did. There you go. What's the twist in Stuart Little? Actually, um, <laughs> there's a very funny Twitter account that offered a, v- a variety of twists on Stuart Little. Oh, okay. Someone's beat us to the chase. Yeah, namely that Stuart Little is a pedophile who kills children. (laughs) Oh, boy. It's dark. It's too early in the morning for that, for me. Oh, yeah, it's 2.30 in the afternoon in uh, New Orleans here, so uh, these sort of recycled Twitter jokes are fair game in my book. Um, But, yeah, so, I, I mean, it seems absurd, and then even more absurd, I guess maybe the book's good. You know, movies don't always capture the essence of the book, but for someone to be so excited to buy the rights and spend three years developing this into a film, and for this to be the outcome, $60 million went into this. And it made money, Tim. 
It did. Not a lot, but it did make money. The uh, the book is skipping Christmas, and I can totally appreciate how it would fly off the shelves. Especially, like, man, in 01, you'd be wanting a bit of escapism, eh? You think about yeah. the hell that that year was for Americans. And if you were at, like, an airport in December wanting to, um, you know, get into the Christmas spirit and stuff and just fucking disconnect, you, you buy a little paperback, a little John Grisham, a um, little bit of escapism for you on the flight. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. A, a yeah. breezy read. It makes sense. I um, yeah. I I don't know. I just I couldn't get on board with the premise, and then so it was just just laboring through an hour and a half, and then at the end, so it's pretty much you've got Tim Allen and Jamie Lee Curtis battling against the neighborhood. Dan Aykroyd is leading the charge. He rallies this entire like community of brainwashed Christmas fiends into really forcefully peer pressuring this family into continuing to celebrate Christmas, even though they don't want to. And eventually, they've sort of Tim Allen and Jamie Lee Curtis haven't won out, but their will has uh, has won out, and that they have managed to barrel through the weeks leading into Christmas. They're prepared to go on holiday, and they get a phone call from their daughter Blair, who's gone uh, to Peru after leaving home, saying she, as a surprise, she's flying home. She's bringing her new Peruvian boyfriend, uh, who's never seen Christmas before. She lays it on pretty heavy as well. Oh, he's never seen Christmas in America. He's never seen the, like, bastardized Coca-Cola-flavored yeah. Christmas that America and, celebrates. And really, like, has obviously sold this to the, the poor boyfriend. And um, mm. anyway, so they freak out. There's no world in which they could say, hey, darling, actually, we're taking Christmas off this year and going on a cruise. Like, I don't understand. They have literally more or less destroyed their standing in the community and lives to take this <laughs> Absolutely. holiday. And then you just one, tell her, right? Yeah, like then the person who you would trust the most to accept this information, they yeah, it, it totally undoes all of their hard work and also all of the first half of the movie. It's, this is why I imagine you had such a hard time, and I, uh, getting on board with the movie, is that it, the two linchpins of this are, A, it's... It's sort of conditional on the fact that um, you just have to accept this community absolutely cannot tolerate someone not going maximum Christmas every year. And number two, you have to accept the fact that you're not allowed to reveal to your adult daughter um, that you've made other plans for Christmas this year when you have. Yeah. And those two things you have to take as like, this is absolutely normal. Know, but and it, we're not going to think about either of these two things. We're not going to interrogate those. They're given. And, and now it, we're going to stack the shit sandwich on top of that foundation. And it it happens um, in a world that is otherwise vaguely ordinary or recognisable. So it's like it's it's sort of trapped between two worlds: the world of um, you know fun f- f- frivolity and like uh, slightly exaggerated reality. And like I just it, I felt like it couldn't make up its mind and. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. There was an element of frustration that I sitting uh, in this apartment, really wanting to get out into the the big bad world, and sitting with these characters meant that they were, they had a lot of work to do for me to like them in the first place. Um, Pretty but, breezy duration time, though. Was it ninety four uh, minutes? Yeah, yeah. It's a it is a breezy ninety four, not including credits. I think ninety eight with credits, which I didn't watch. If you're curious. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, Tim, you know I'm a huge advocate for hiring an objective, professional, licensed professional to tell my problems to so that when they tell me what they think, I know I'm getting it straight. That's where BetterHelp comes in. That's right. BetterHelp have a big pile of professionals to talk to at your convenience online. You've done a bit of therapy, right, Guy? I started doing therapy during, uh, there was a pandemic, I don't know if you remember, and the benefits were immediate and long-lasting. They help give you skills that you can use when you are in stressful or anxious situations. Honestly, it's changed my life for the better. I guess that's why they call it BetterHelp. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash all time today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash all time. I thought uh, Dan Aykroyd was, he was a bit of fun. Didn't have any issues with him. His reveal was so great and then they kind of fucked it from there on in. Because he's yeah. got his back turned, and they're setting it up, and I think there's a big dramatic musical cue to like reveal who this big bad neighborhood villain is, and the face turns around, it's Dan Aykroyd, and you're just fucking stoked to see him. I was yeah. like, yes, awesome, all right, now we're cooking. But that then was... he's, he's vastly underutilized and kind of confused as an enemy. Yeah, um, and then, like, I mean, what were, the, what were your laugh lines? What were the bits that got you? Anything? Uh, fuck. Well, I the only thing I wrote down that I liked was Dan Aykroyd's introduction. Ah. That was, oh, okay. Well, like is a strong word, but I was absolutely disgusted by the scene where Tim Allen has gotten a Botox injection in preparation for the cruise, and he's just trying to put food, he's trying to eat, and food <laughs> yeah. just keeps falling out of his mouth. To his credit... A pretty good bit of physical comedy. That was, I was absolutely disgusted by what I was seeing. That was also number one on my list. I thought it was fantastic. Um, he looked like John Travolta in that biopic, Gotti or whatever. Like, I haven't seen that. I didn't either, but the internet went crazy for it because it was so bad. But um, it was, yeah, like that, that was a funny reveal. But I, they didn't, like Jamie Lee Curtis and Tim Allen didn't, they're not a couple that, even though I, I I was geared towards rooting for them, they're not a couple that you could root for because they didn't seem like a happy couple. You just kind of want to 
they they wanted different things and they shouldn't have been married and that's fine but that you gotta take that for what it is i felt bad for the actor jamie lee curtis in this movie because there's like particularly this um what is it called the like fake tan scene um that was kind of difficult to watch because they just sort of had to i guess they had jamie lee curtis right she's got a phenomenal body they were like we've got to have her in a bikini somehow how do we do that for a christmas movie so they put her in a tanning bed and then a priest comes and she's just bikini clad engaging in this awkward um, neighborhood conversation for a while. And the script sucks and the joke is that everyone's ogling at her and it's just like, ugh, this has gone on too long and I feel yucky. I feel like a um, peeping Tom just in how the scene is set up. Because it's like, it's a it's a family movie and it's just, the tone's very, ugh, it's gross. Yeah, it, uh, it's, for the, it's for the dirty dads, you know? It's for the dirty dads who got dragged along to the cinema to entertain the kids for an hour and a half. Yeah, it I'm didn't, like, I'm not here for you, dirty dads. I'm not one of you, and I don't it, appreciate you. It didn't make sense in the movie either. Why, like, I don't even understand. She banged her head a little bit and was bleeding and had to run out. Oh, yeah, I forgot that. That was the other joke. Uh, she got a bit hurt. Yeah. And so she's got, she's getting a sunbed. They're getting tans for the crew so that they'll blend in. And uh, she's not done it before, and she's sort of begrudgingly going along with it. And then she someone accidentally comes into the room when she's lying in the UV bed, and she bangs her head, gets up to get a Band-Aid. And the only place to get a Band-Aid is with our friend Arden Mirren uh, at the front of the counter, just out in a mall with a tiny little towel. Yeah, it's, it's not good. I am trying to think of something fun or... Um, Different to say, oh, other than just earnestly communicating that I didn't enjoy the movie. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah, good, good on you, guy. Way to tread water. Um, do you know it was legit funny in, in a way that they intended? So I applaud them for this. That guy who got stuck on the roof at the end. So they're kind of, all of the movies, this is again the weird pacing thing. Everything's leading up to one event, but it happens at the three-quarter mark, and then there's another quarter of the movie to go, which is very weird. But, so, um, what's your name again? Blair is coming. They've, they're now on this like eight hour time frame and the community spoiler alert pulls together and forgives the sins of this horrible um tim allen character to do his house up so that blair which everyone loves who everyone loves um can enjoy like this you know classic uh neighborhood christmas that she's used to growing up with so they all rally together to put the christmas party on and get the lights up and get a big um frosty the snowman on the roof and everything and that <laughs> Tim Allen go across the road from them, and this is a weird thread. Um, there's another kind of neighborhood antagonist character for Tim Allen, who is this guy who's demonstrably about 15 years older than Tim Allen, but keeps calling him old man, which was funny. And he's got a wife who's dying of cancer, which was not funny. Um, but the movie keeps reminding you of this fact that there's this woman dying of cancer across the road, and it's like, all right, I, I guess that's part of this too, very well. But Tim Allen is consistently a massive dick to her husband, which I feel is super callous and a really stupid thing to do with the lead of your movie because it makes it very hard for you to sympathize with him. But then um, when he keeps going in and out of the house because he's popping over there at one point, he ends up giving them the cruise. He hears Frosty the Snowman talking to him and he gets really confused and then it turns out they just left a guy on the roof and took the ladder away. And that oh, was funny. I didn't even put those pieces together. Um, it was when the community I was know, putting I, yeah, Frosty yeah. on the roof for I know, him, but and they just left the dude up. There. I 
do you know I thought so little of this movie that when Tim Allen is crossing the the threshold to go and see you know this uh, couple who he's having these disagreements with and he's saying his name Luther or whatever. And Tim yeah. Allen looks at his champagne glass like, oh, I've been drinking too much of this champagne. You know when you get so yeah. high on champagne, you start hallucinating? And he, yeah, yeah, he throws it down. And I thought that was the entirety of the gag. It didn't occur to me that the, the writer, is it Chris Columbus, had the forethought to later connect that to the fact that there was a man stuck on the roof. Credit where it's due. That is um, storytelling in some shape or form. I would like to also give a shout out to one of the very bold editing decisions that was made, which was when Dewey was on the, um, Dewey from Malcolm in the Middle, who's this Dan Aykroyd's son, who when they're all rallying together to get the house ready for this big Christmas party so that they don't embarrass themselves in front of their daughter, who's decided on an absolute whim to come home and demand that everything be exactly (laughs) as it would be if she was there. Uh, Dan Aykroyd says to us, he says, They've, they're going to be home an hour earlier and the, the house won't be ready in time. And Dan Edward says, I've got an idea. And then doesn't say anything to anyone and just goes and whispers something into his son's ear, <laughs> which is such a funny move. Like, can you imagine there's a room full of people with one shared problem and someone has a solution to the problem and instead of sharing mm. it with anyone else, just whispers it to a boy and sends the boy away and sort of claps his hands together like, fixed it. But then uh, Dewey runs away and gets on his like walkie-talkie in his bedroom or whatever, and he's obviously, it's it's implied as backstory that he's been mucking around on the police line on the radios before. And the editor at the same time was like, I hope no one from the studio is watching this because I'm going to edit this like um, a first pass at a Michael Bay action movie and like probably packs 12 cuts into like... 15 seconds of movie, but the action is just a boy on a police radio talking to some police officers. I thought that something was wrong with the version of the movie I was watching. It was so high octane. Do you know what I'm talking about? Dude, I am absolutely devastated to report. I do not know what you're talking about. Oh, so sad. I kind of want to bring it up. Yeah. I mean, I can see what's happening here. It's almost worth it, but not quite. Um, Mm. And that was that was fun. I've just to sort of try and jog my memory. I've gone to the quote section on the Christmas with the Cranks IMDb page. Who chooses what quotes go in these? It's anyone, isn't Mate, it? It's just anyone. Here's some. Uh, it's like Wikipedia. Here are some of the quotes from Jamie Lee Curtis. What are you doing? It's not even Saturday night. Without any context. Right. That's when they're um, trying to fuck each other. By the way, folks at home. Well, it's a misunderstanding. Tim Allen's trying to pitch the the holiday cruise, and Jamie Lee Curtis is getting horny. Yeah, but then there's a real role reversal later on where they flip who wants to fuck. I know. It seems like they've got a very strict rule that they only fuck on Saturday night. I respect that. Do you? Yeah. The old regimented sex life? Absolutely. Keep it uh, once a week and on that regular day. Hey, you want to know what's terrifying? I know that you're leading up to something. So I started the movie silently so I could try and find the scene. And now it's disabled. Like every... I I've never had this before. Christmas with the Cranks has taken over the tablet and it will not respond to anything. Like I can touch anywhere on the screen. It doesn't bring up a damn thing. There's no controls. I can't rewind. I can't exit out of it. But the movie plays on. 
I love that so much. And I left quotes because that was so infuriating. I hope that, by the way, that your tablet is forever cursed by the spirit of Tim Allen. For you, yeah. snitches get stitches, Tim. And snitching on a snitch is still a form of snitching. He's gonna... Oh, shit. So I'm the baddie. No, you're right. But uh, I clicked on the goof section instead. And, I mean, I'm blown away by the fact that someone's bothered to observe and share this observation. Uh, but... There's something called an anachronism, which is when something is like chronologically incongruent or inconsistent with the film. So mm-hmm. uh, what they've written is, Lou the Crank, which is Tim Allen's character, sees the advertisement of a carnival ship, then books passage on what he refers to as the luxury ship Jubilee. The carnival Jubilee was one of carnival's smaller holiday class ships that first sailed in 1986. Shortly before this movie was made, the Jubilee was transferred to P&O lines of Australia and became Fuck a Pacific off. Sun. There is no way Luther could have sailed no, on the Jubilee in Christmas of 2004. Therefore, freeze the entirety of the movie does not need to be taken seriously because if a film isn't willing to research one of the vehicles <laughs> by which it prompts its characters to action within the first quarter, how are we yeah. meant to take the rest of the action seriously? I rest my case. Fucking sloppy filmmaking. It's absolutely sloppy. This is a film which uh, freezes a cat and then animates the blinking of the frozen cat statue by using about two frames a second and then (laughs) just kind of twinks the eyes shut and then reverses that process for them opening again. And that CGI shot cost $10 million thanks to Tim Allen's animation company. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Because no one knew what the fuck was going on. Hey, here's a theory, guy. What do we know about Blair? Everyone's very sketched out that she's going to have a bad time, like everyone in the community. We also know that she was everyone's babysitter. I reckon this t- this town has a very dark secret, and I think Blair knows it, and I think it's why she left, and I think it's why everyone's very fucking nervous about her coming back and, and not having a sensational, traditional yeah, time. All, all very actively like, oh, Blair, well, like on their best behavior. I don't know. Yeah. I It's... um. It's very base of me, but an assumption would be uh, like everyone rallies around Blair in a way that I suppose maybe she's meant to be just a pillar of hope and decency in the community. But, and I hate to say this, and this reflects poorly on me, but it feels sexual to me. It feels like she um, has access to a lot of sort of nefarious secrets. Maybe she has... Maybe she sort of, in a non-discriminatory fashion, is uh, you know this pansexual babysitter who goes around tearing up marriages by having sex with a anyone. Pansexual babysitter in yeah. a Tim Allen Christmas movie. That's right. In two thousand and four, so, based on a delightful John Grisham novel from two thousand and one. Yeah, and so she sort of wields you know these secrets. And the thing is, and this is where the movie could become more interesting. The the these families could realize that if they, they share their secrets and shortcomings, it could unite them and they could be set free from being ruled under the iron thumb of uh, Blair. They wouldn't have to celebrate Christmas so forcefully every year because as soon as they said, hey, I'm sorry, I have been unfaithful, then that would also open up the op- opportunity for their partner to say, I've also been unfaithful. And then they both say, it was with Blair, and they both realize that they've been unfaithful <laughs> with Blair, and Blair has been blackmailing both of them, and it sort of lifts this whole cloud of forced chair from the community, and then they can all rally together, and you know, Blair then comes back from Peru with her fiancé, 
and uh, she's confronted by the community in front of the love of her life. And then you've got stakes. You've got something that's genuinely interesting to watch. I I reckon that um, what is his name Enrique, the Peruvian uh, yeah. fiance, because they do they get engaged engaged to be married in this film. They get engaged. Um, engaged. <laughs> yep, you heard me. Uh, they get engaged, which is where you promise that at some point you're going to co-own a, a carport together. <laughs> and it's a huge commitment because people don't realize this, but even a carport, you need to make sure you sweep it every now and then. Because if the leaves build up in there, you've got a fire hazard. It's unsafe for kids. Uh, you could get hedgehogs, rodents sleeping in the piles. All manner of it's stuff. no good. So when you agree that you're going to co-own a carport, that's for life, baby. Um Enrique, I think, would totally know. I think that Blair would open up to him. Uh, mm. Like, instantly. Not even open up, because it wouldn't even be a revelation. Oh, okay. If that's her character, she's like, I'm a pansexual babysitter of this very... No, um, but you can do that, but I feel like she's she's left for the Peace Corps. Like, 23 is quite an interesting age, because I guess maybe she's finished college, but it sounds like she's lived at home that whole time. And why now? Yeah. Why all of a sudden now, Tim? Because the flame's getting too hot under, you know, feet to the fire. The 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 um the vultures are circling her. Like the community is getting too close to finding out that she's played everyone off against each other, and so she she has to escape town and leave. And the first thing you do when you meet Enrique down in Peru is not, you know, confess to all of the things you've done wrong and the problems you face back home, but embrace this fresh start and new new life. Peru is where you go when the heat is on. <laughs> but then she comes back. This is the problem. She brings him with her. Maybe it's a bit of a power play. Yeah, it's so a power she's like, trip. Hey, it's no one trip. fuck with me. For sure. Um, well, I would what give... a dark undertone for this film. Yeah. Uh, with this in mind, I would elevate my review uh, from being one out of five stars to two out of five stars uh, a Christmas film brave enough to flirt with serious themes of uh, sex fuck I don't know yeah <laughs> intrigue um, refusing Christmas that's a theme what would you give this uh, film out of five stars five Christmas I would give ornaments it, I would give it two stars because I didn't find it painful per se but it was hyper mediocre but it also made me very sad it was a movie that made me very sad because it reminded me of a time which thankfully we're not in anymore we're like there's this whole flavor of american cultural exports that go this is how everyone lives it's such a sure-footed um christian uh bleached like white teeth hyper conservative and and stuck and just a really gross um specific tone that doesn't accept that anyone could be different i don't think there's i can't apart from enrique who is it's kind of almost the point that he is othered i don't know if there's any black people in this town there are there are um no that's inaccurate there are two two black couples in this town is one of them a cop? No, the cop is Cheech of Cheech oh, and Chong fame. 
I'm mixing it with Ernest because I saw them like back to back. Well, that's a different, a different conversation for a different podcast. My God, yeah, aren't we true. consuming these Christmas films at a rate of knots? No, Tim Allen borrows a Christmas tree from a lovely black couple, but uh, within that, the husband is sort of this cool devil may care guy, and the the wife is a, sh- a Christmas shrew who is protect. You know, like they still abide. Um, conservative rule within the movie even in their attempts yeah, at inclusivity cool. that's good everyone sucks um in this town <clears throat> and it's important to remember that even matt walsh they don't we love pull any punches um i have nothing to say beyond this like i can tell you have been doggy paddling uh through half of this very deftly but <laughs> it, i can hear it i uh, resent the accuracy of the accusation. <laughs> well, um, thanks for joining us for we can't remember what we're calling these the, Chris, the Patreon Pal Christmas Treehouse Fun yep. Zone uh, Edition Two. Um, this has been it's been really weird and really sad to be honest with you. And I am devastatingly hungover from a, a party that I went to last night because it's early. But that's on me. My and you know what? It bears. It bears bringing up as well that the internet like buffer thing, we've done very fucking well over the last couple of years to contend with this because not everyone could put up with that one and a half second delay. It really fucks with the convo. Yeah, it makes it hard. But here we are valiantly mm. battling out conversations with one another for the troops. That's what I we love call, you, guy. Uh, listeners, the troops. I love you too, Tim. And can I can I say to you, in the spirit of Christmas with the cranks, Happy Hanukkah, Feliz Navidad, Feliz Navidad, Feliz Navidad. Tim Allen, your face, and Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> Christmas with the Cranks. What are you doing, Walter? Whoa! Easy! Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.